0: The Enneagram is more interested in motivation and character than outward behavior. Now it will still say here's some outward behaviors that you could recognize, like with me moving from place to place, the the brown and green field illustration I just used. That's a behavioral thing. But why am I doing that? Well, because I'm trying to avoid pain, as a seven. So what the interesting thing about the Enneagram is it emphasizes character, it emphasizes health. So it's gonna show you what you look like when you're really not doing well and what you look like when you really have a lot to give. And you know no strings attached, uh, your, your, your best self and a healthy spot.
1: Hey, this is Cal Walters with the Intentional Leader Podcast. I first wanna thank you for joining us here today. Our mission is to help you intentionally lead yourself inspire others and make the world a better place i hope you enjoy this message let's go make it count Hey everyone, I'm Cal and welcome to episode 71 of the Intentional Leader Podcast. On this show, our goal is to help you become the type of leader that inspires others to be their best. And no matter where you are in your leadership journey, we will help you get to that next level. And we do that by bringing on amazing guests with leadership experiences and insights that you can go and apply today. I'm really excited about today's episode because we have John Fouché with us to talk about how you as a leader can use the Enneagram as a tool for your leadership. If you've never heard of the Enneagram, don't worry, John's going to explain it. He's going to tell us all about it. And if you're well-versed in the Enneagram, perhaps you've never thought about how you can specifically use this tool to better your leadership and to better your team. I was first introduced to John Fouché through Jim Fries, one of our Intentional Leader team members. John is the founder and president of People Launching, and through that organization, John spends his time launching other people. He's coached over 300 people into their personal calling, and he's consulted with over 150 organizations. Also, John and his associate, Elaine Webb, are the co-founders of Gospel Enneagram, which is a spiritual assessment and training initiative. John is also the executive pastor of Oak City Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. He's been a pastor for 25 years and has started two churches. John and his wife, Lindsay, have been married for over 25 years. They have four kids and they have one daughter-in-law. If you're new to the show first of all i want to say thank you so much for being here we release a new episode every two weeks and my hope is that you walk away inspired And with some practical leadership lessons that you can go and apply right away if you want to make sure you get episodes that come straight to you every two weeks just go ahead and hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts also thank you to all of you that continue to share this podcast through word of mouth with your friends with your network at your teams i really appreciate that and also thank you to all of you that have taken a few minutes to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts that really helps us grow, it helps us reach more leaders. I want to ask you to consider joining the Intentional Leader Lab on Facebook. This is just a free group on Facebook. It's a private group. Just type in Intentional Leader Lab on Facebook. It'll pop right up. And that's just a place where you can share resources, debate leadership ideas, share struggles, problems, just anything that leaders face with other leaders. It's a great great resource for you to go and connect with other folks in a smaller setting. Today's episode is brought to you by Higher Echelon Incorporated. Higher Echelon is a leadership development and organizational performance consulting firm providing human capital and technology services to help you optimize your performance. Higher Echelon can help prepare your organization to meet the rapidly changing, complex, and often ambiguous requirements of today's world by developing resilient and adaptive leaders, modernizing and enhancing your processes, and implementing transformational technology solutions. That's what they do. They help you with those three big areas, your people, your processes, and your technology, go visit higherechelon.com to connect with Dr. Joe Ross and the amazing team at Higher Echelon. So you can learn more about how they can help you and your team. If you'd like to get the show notes for today's episode, just go to my website, cowwalters.me. There's some resources we discuss at the end of this episode that are there on the website. Also go check out our YouTube channel where you can watch some of our interviews. Just could type in intentional leader on YouTube. You'll find us there. So without any further ado, let's dive into how the Enneagram can help you and your team with John Foucher. All right, John. Hey, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being on today.
0: Thanks for having me, Cal. It's a delight.
1: I am so excited to talk about the Enneagram. I learned about the Enneagram, man, it was probably a couple of years ago. And it has really helped me get to know myself. It's helped me get to know my wife in a way that I didn't know her even after being married to her for 10 years. It's helped us kind of understand the way we talk, the way we think, and the way we're motivated. So, I'm really excited to dive into that and also think about how it impacts our leadership potentially. so let's let's just start John with how did you become interested in the Enneagram
0: Yeah um, it was about 2005 so now 16 years ago I had I'm kind of an entrepreneur I'm not just kind of an entrepreneur I am an entrepreneur. <laughs> and I had started an organization uh, and after two years I was already bored with it. And I was ready to leave it, fold it up, or hand it over for with with no benefit to me, and just be gone and start another one in another cooler city somewhere else. And uh we seriously really looked at uh moving and all the way down to our kids' school, but there was something going on in me where I was just really restless. And uh and I just kind of knew that. I was off, like it was the right thing, I'm an entrepreneur, but it just felt like for the wrong reasons, but I couldn't quite articulate what that was. And so I went to uh, basically very something similar to what I do today, uh, something that helps uh, evaluate and develop your leadership and and grow your self-awareness in such a way that you're able to really do things inside out for all the right reasons. And also, of course, get focused on the right thing. And and one of the things, it was a team of coaches that worked with my wife and I for five days. And one of them was a counselor that just kept reading our mail, not just in our marriage, but in the whole way, our whole uh, personality and the way we were looking forward um, and approaching this particular issue. And in the end, we finally asked them like, like, what is going on? <laughs> what do you, you know doing? me so well? <laughs> and he said, well, don't tell anybody, but I've, well, the Enneagram was really helpful with you too. Mm. And I'm like, what's the Enneagram? And he pulled out a book and showed us and, and it showed how, you know, I very much can be an adventure nut and always needing the next green field. You know, when this field is actually just shade less of green just (laughs) not even dead but even slightly you know pale I've got to find the next green field and he's like there's some motivations and some deeper reasons why that's not so good and the people that you are now responsible for are about to lose out on uh, your loyalty and um, some gifts and and stability and all that, because you're already moving on. And then my wife was super accommodating and just, she's super nice. That's her problem. And um, But that that fed that uh, to where we were about to make a mistake. So it was 2005. And then after that, I went back and read this book and we started exploring it and I kind of used it for seven or eight years uh, with that.
1: So I'm curious, what was the type of business that you created that that didn't fit you and your personality?
0: Uh, I was a church actually. Uh, oh, okay. It was a, um, it was a church. So we had started a church and okay. got it to 120 people. And I'm like, I'm, I'm ready to go. You know, really? Okay. Yeah. And it was just like
1: a kind of the, the like you mentioned the greener grass, there was just kind right. of the next, going to the next adventure.
0: Right. But it also, I had done the same kind of things with, I was a sales rep uh, for a, at the time, a a publishing company that I'd done the same things. And I'd started several things at that point I was 35 and uh, I had done it three or four times before, um, to where I had good jobs, but I was moving on to something else to take another risk, uh, that wasn't always best for, you know, our family.
1: And your wife, it sounds like she's accommodating, willing to follow you to the next adventure.
0: Exactly. Okay. Yeah. But she would still carry the stress of all that. Mm-hmm. You know, be overly agreeable. Uh and then on the back end, she was super nice still. And but she would carry so she was having panic attacks while we were having these, you know, these plans of moving forward. And it was just, you know, she had just gotten used to one adjustment. I mean, you would know this being in the military, you know, and um and the next one, you know, hadn't fully come about yet. And we we're already looking up again.
1: And would you, would you know that she was going through these panic attacks or was that something she was kind of dealing with, with kind of behind the scenes?
0: That was, I mean, I mean, she's always subtle in what's going on, but it was pretty obvious. It shook mm-hmm. her and it shook me. And I knew I was already off and that was the thing. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. something's going on. I'm causing stress or yeah, she's feeling something's up. Something deeper is going on here.
1: And how long had y'all been married at that point?
0: We had been married at that point for eight years or nine years. So, you know, uh, that part uh, was fine.
1: And (laughs) Yeah. And it just, so I'm curious and I'm going to try to guess your Enneagram. I might be completely wrong. Are you a seven? Yep. And is she a two or a nine? Yep. She's a nine. She's a nine. See, there you go. And I had a similar experience with my wife and I I think we've been married probably 10 years and just learning our Enneagrams as I already mentioned, helped us understand each other in a way we hadn't understood each other before my, so I'm a three, my wife's an eight. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, and we'll get more into this. One of the things I learned about my wife when I learned that she was an eight is it's hard for her to be vulnerable Mm -hmm. and it's, she's very direct She's very direct in the way she talks. And I used to be offended by that because I was like, "Babe, like, it's not necessarily what you're saying. I mean, is it kind of what you're saying, but also the way you say it, it's like, can you say it a little bit softer? Mm -hmm. And for her, it just like, that's just the way she is. Mm -hmm. And so I started to appreciate that when she's able to, to not be direct, when she's able to soften things a little bit, that takes a lot of work for her. And the mm-hmm. same is true with being vulnerable. It takes a lot of work for her, which for me as a three, it's a little bit easier for me to be vulnerable with her. So that's really that's really neat. And, and so John, the, the company that you started, is that mm-hmm. the company that you currently have?
0: Yeah. So okay. I started something called People Launching five or six years i after that experience in 2005 i just started coaching people on the side as volunteer work for four or five hours a week and then um in 2015 i just started a little coaching practice on my side and within a month i hadn't thought about how much i built up a good network over the previous nine years and so the phone rang out the hook and so i pivoted and went full-time with that and uh, wow that's the type of work i do and it's called people launching it's a It's a ball. I absolutely love it.
1: And, and you're coaching. Are you coaching? Or is there a certain segment that you're really focused on? Is it is it former pastors? Is it current pastors? Is it corporate leaders or all, it, all the above?
0: It's a mix. It's about a third people in um, primarily pastor space and missionary, that kind of thing. Might mm-hmm. be all around the world. A third are uh, business leaders that are trying to start a business that has a little bit stronger social cause with it. And so we're kind of helping them with entrepreneurship. And then we do help uh, provide help with nonprofits get off the ground that are reaching really difficult areas or disadvantaged peoples and all over the world. And so that's more of a charitable side. So about a third of it is charitable.
1: Okay. And you mentioned a book. So 2005, you get this book. What was the name of the book?
0: Uh, At the time, the book was called The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective by Richard Rohr. Okay. And I don't think it's necessarily, certainly not the best book on Enneagram anymore. And he overstated his point about it being a Christian tool, I think. But uh, it was the book that I first picked up and it was one that. 15 20 years ago that many christians at that time picked up it had been in other religious circles before that and of course in mostly secular psychology
1: so i'm mindful that the folks that are listening right now some of them never heard of the enneagram maybe hearing about it for the first time some folks experts probably there they've they've dived, they've dove into the enneagram before and mm-hmm. even those that maybe have have gone deeper into the enneagram maybe they're skeptical and that's fine too what Let's, let's dive into what is the Enneagram and how is it different than other self-assessment tools that people might be familiar with, like the Myers-Briggs or, or sure. other f- disk assessments, something like that?
0: Sure. So, uh, the Enneagram Ennea in Greek means nine and gram means to write. And the Enneagram is based on a design, a graphic that has nine different points pointing to nine different types of people. Um, and these are nine different ways of perceiving, uh, processing, of responding to reality. Now you mentioned you're a three, I'm a seven. The way we approach issues sometimes can be similar, but a lot of times at the motivational level, it's uh, you're coming to it for a different reason. So uh, it's very different from a lot of other assessments in, um, for example, Myers-Briggs, you mentioned DISC. Uh, Those are classic personality tools and they're really helpful. I use them, but they tend to track behavior. Usually uh, with a lot of leadership stuff, we talk a lot about Strength Finder. That's another one. It's a little bit better. It does go a little bit towards why you do what you do, but for the most part, it's ultimately tracking behavior. The Enneagram is more interested in motivation and character than outward behavior now it will still say here's some outward behaviors that you could recognize like with me moving from place to place the the brown and green field illustration i just used um, that's a behavioral thing but why am i doing that well because i'm trying to avoid pain as a seven so what the interesting thing about the enneagram is it emphasizes character it emphasizes health so it's gonna show you what you look like when you're really not doing well, and what you look like when you really um, have a lot to give, and you know no strings attached, uh, your, your, your best self and a healthy spot. And so it's gonna emphasize what the Enneagram would describe a little bit more like of a vice and virtue, uh, how you change under stress, uh, for example, than the other ones will. Um, I think the Strength Finder is a little bit more specific and better. Uh, sometimes the Myers Briggs and DISC for actually uh, servicing gifts of a person or talent, but uh, this is going to really help you with character. So the the difference with that is, I think you know a lot of times, like if you're looking for a job, talent will land you a job, but typically character keeps you there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so we need to know, as employers, as leaders, whatever it may be, how people are perceiving processing, and responding to the workplace, cultures, environments, the challenges that are coming our our way so that we would be able to really, uh, see Are is this person off? Are they showing warning signs that they need a break or, uh, or is just, just part of the way they approach a problem.
1: That's really helpful. I, I was just taking a lot of notes there as you were talking. Um, so in your view, it sounds like you could, you could, you could still use the Myers-Briggs, the disc strength finder yes. and the Enneagram can still give you something that those other assessments don't give. So if you're a leader out there and you're trying to get a better sense of yourself or your team, don't think that these are mutually exclusive. You could use right. all of these and it's going to maybe tell you something different or, or in addition to these other assessments. That's right. That's right. Okay. Let's, so I do want to jump into the numbers and, and we'll kind of go through them one through nine, but I, I'm curious before we dive in you as a seven, like what are some specific things that you've discovered about yourself? And we'll get more into like what a seven is, but what, what are some specific things that you have personally discovered about yourself since, since diving into the Enneagram? We already talked a little bit about the grass is greener thing, Ooh. but are there other things that you've discovered since, since digging into the Enneagram?
0: Yeah, for sure. So um, the Enneagram tends to emphasize nurture a little bit more of how how you grew up and how you learned to operate uh, as a kid. And I was the youngest of the family. Uh, youngest of the family tends to be a little more fun, or <laughs> at least they they need to. Um, simultaneously, though, I think one thing that really did um, influence my childhood was I had asthma to very... Uh, all the way uh, from what my mother said all this I'm sure she overspoke a little bit I wouldn't sleep the night all the way until I was six years old because of asthma oh wow so she would have to rock me and then later on after we I started finding some ways to improve my nutrition she did <laughs> I certainly wasn't <laughs> helping, but uh we, our family was really wealthy and we ended up losing everything through uh real estate crash. And for about 10 years there uh, in Texas in the eighties, we lost it all, you know? And so there was a little bit of a season of pain in my family to where I started thinking, Hey, when I go on a run, when I go to school, I get out of this really difficult family even though it was a good family but it was just a troubling time yeah uh, and but i became to to treat pain or difficulty um as a way of i gotta get out of here you know mm-hmm. adventures out there and if mm-hmm. i just go get a little bit of adventure then i'm going to be happy well you can see how that's fine to get a break it's not okay to look for your significance and have to find it um, outside of whatever circumstances and let your circumstances dictate things. So for me, that was really, really helpful. and that's why years later, when I'm in my 30s, I keep doing this and there's no, you know uh, just the grass that go to pale green and I'm already <laughs> interpreting this as like, oh my gosh, I gotta get out of here. There was a fear-based response with it.
1: And, and we've already talked a little bit about your wife, but her being a a nine, which is a, which is a peacemaker. Yeah. How, how has it changed the way you relate to her or the way she relates to you learning about each other's numbers?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, a super helpful question. Like, by the way, her parents got divorced mm-hmm. and a nine's a peacemaker. They love to bring harmony uh, to their relationships. And her dad even said to her in fifth grade after he had separated from his, her mom, I'm moving back in with you guys, but I'm coming back in here for you. And so she really thought, as a child, it's up to me to keep the peace, which of course wasn't completely fair at all um, for her. One of the things I'll notice is a lot of times, uh, because she is accommodating and, and a peacemaker, she can try to accommodate my quest for adventure. But what actually happened through our time of me realizing that's like, our two weaknesses tying in together mm-hmm. um was it started me to really ask her a lot of questions not for example i'll ask her all the time what do you want uh, and she's always like what do i want what does it matter it's what i need you know mm-hmm. and she's just kind of dismissing her her desires you know because she thinks if i just give everybody else what they want mm-hmm. then i'll get what i which is, which is not healthy. And so I, it's taught me to listen. It's taught me to ask questions. It's taught me to not let her off the hook with sweet statements like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and then it's helped her realize, you know, when I start getting scattered, when I start looking at things uh, years ago, when I used to pull out the map and wonder what it was like to live in Seattle or something crazy, you know, she learned uh, to ask how you do you know, wow. Uh, those evidences of stress for both of us were totally different ways. Also, it's helped me, you know, I tend to be very driven. And whenever she's got a relationship, she's got to be assertive in. I I, I used to be impatient with her, like, just, you know, just go out there and put yourself out there and tell, tell them what you want. And that was really hard for her. And for me, she was always like, would you quit putting yourself out there like you're being overly assertive? You need to learn how to not push and and read the group and those kind of things. And so those kind of ways help us have a little bit more patience with each other on, hey, I'm always going to be assertive and she's always going to be less assertive. But that doesn't mean that humility looks differently. You know, when I do pull back and less assertive, in order for her or somebody else to step in, or when she does assert and become a peacemaker, not just a peacekeeper, uh, I recognize that as that's a, both of them are both big character moves uh, that we need to celebrate.
1: That that's so helpful, and I think we should say up front that there's no right number. It, it, everyone, all the numbers are these are just nine different ways that God designed us and we're all designed uniquely. And and I think the beauty is just hearing you talk through you and your wife, she can love you out of who you are Mm -hmm. by by knowing you better. And and the more you know yourself, the more you can say, oh man, that is, maybe I'm getting to an unhealthy place uh, based on my tendencies and she can love you through that. Maybe before, and I can at least speak for my wife and I, before knowing each other's number and knowing each other's motivations, we just get frustrated by why don't you why, do, why don't you talk to me differently instead of mm-hmm. saying, you know what you're a little bit you're just different. Mm-hmm. I, I love your, and I love your uniqueness. There's a lot of strengths that come from that. So let me love you out of, out of where you're at, wh- where you are and your tendencies instead of just trying to be like each other yeah, and, and be you know exact carbon copies of each other. And by the way, I can totally relate to your wife. In fact, I think I probably have some nine in me. My parents divorced when I was four or five. They both remarried. I was kind of bouncing back between families, and sometimes that question that you ask your wife of "What do you want?" My wife will ask me that question, and that is so hard for me to answer sometimes because I never—I I was so able to just flex to wherever I was. Mm-hmm. I could be—I could be pretty comfortable in any scenario. That's right. That, that might be why I'm a three of just the ability to kind of achieve and and perform no matter where I am, and I probably learned that that was. How I got love was through performing and through achieving, um, but I can totally relate to that—the difficulty of, of, of actually being able to state, "This is what I want. This is where I want to go to, for dinner." For example, yeah. sometimes that's hard for me to say because I'm just like, "Hey, whatever, whatever you guys want works for me." Yeah. Um, all right, so let's jump into these numbers. So sure. let's start with with number one. Tell us what what is number one. What what's the motivation of a one?
0: Sure. So we'll give these all titles just uh, to help you remember it a little bit. Um, we tend to call one as reformer. Um, some people, you know, it's they're wanting uh, to pursue excellence. Uh, they're very. Moral or good people. Some people will call them the perfectionist, uh, but that's usually you know who likes being called a perfectionist. <laughs> uh, but that does give you the idea of the kind of the shadow side. Uh, they they can they can show a lot of stress when they're like um, when things are broken, which is mm. pretty much everything's broken sooner or later, <laughs> and uh, or even if it's like a character flaw in someone they can get irritable because they're kind of swallowing their anger a little bit because good people don't blow up in anger but that doesn't mean they don't feel it. So that's some of the things with a reformer or a perfectionist as far as what they stri- strive to do and their um and and what the common emotion tends to go with them.
1: So one of my favorite pastors Andy Stanley is a one I've heard him talk about him just wanting to make things perfect, wanting to get things better, always, always being able to see, Hey, this can be a little bit better. If, if, if for a leader out there, if, if you're a one, or let me just ask it this way, if you have a one on your team, mm-hmm. h- how can you, how can you really lean into their strengths and maybe what should you also be looking out for if you have a one on your team?
0: Sure. So, I mean, like anything is a good, good example because he's an incredible communicator. Well, he's honestly just almost, if not perfected, the art of communication. So that's one of the things that you're going to be able to see is these people are really become very driven to be good. Like there's, they can always be um, pushing for the next level. They also can be good teachers or developer of people because they're always taking someone to the next step of development they're gonna keep on growing that person. So those are really good people development or teachers uh, to have. One of the problems though, with always having this next standard is for themselves, they can feel like, you know, they never meet their own standard. And so they can sometimes come off as critical to us, but they're like super critical on the inside. Uh, and so a lot of times they'll start showing their stress by a lot of, uh, self-criticism. And so that's a, that's a kind of a watch out for them.
1: It seems like for a one, it would be hard potentially to give them feedback. Are are ones going to be particularly, uh, sensitive to feedback since they're already so hard on themselves?
0: Yeah. So they want feedback because they want to improve, but. They can be sensitive, um, but it, so it depends on how you um, how you do it. Just like most of us, but I think that ones really because they're so good and responsible. They, if you've truly taken responsibility for your relationship and you have uh, cared a lot about relationship, they'll receive that feedback better than if you've just been relying on them to be an expert and you've just been, you know telling them telling them what they should do all the time and been more of a taking role than a giver. So uh, I find that's, that's the key on feedback for ones is, is the re- responsibility of the relationship shared? And if so, then tell me what, how I can improve. I'm fine because I'm, I know I can trust you.
1: It seems like a one might tend towards burnout more than the other numbers. Is that true or?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, always shooting perfection yeah i mean is i mean how many people do we know that are really perfect at their craft have big burnouts because of that same thing they couldn't turn it off you know yeah and so that that is they're definitely probably second only to three
1: (laughs) yeah the the workaholic three here yeah and i So I was interviewing someone, a pastor, um, Gavin Adams, who had worked with Andy Stanley for a long time. And one of the things he said about Andy is that you would never believe how much preparation he puts into giving a a speech or a a Sunday message, or even just a meeting. The amount of time he'll, he'll block out an entire afternoon to prepare for a meeting next week. Mm-hmm. And so that maybe gives you a sense of uh, kind of into the the way in which a one might think of like, cause you, cause when you hear him preach, it seems effortless, yeah but it's because there's, I mean, obviously he's gifted, but there's so much preparation that he's putting into every single message that he delivers. Right. Uh, and so it's great, probably a great person to have on your team. Yep. But if you're a leader, you've got to watch out and it's probably one of your go-to people potentially, mm-hmm. but you've got to, got to keep them from, uh, burning out, I would imagine. And also you've got to help them know what the priorities are because I can see them making everything I've got. I got, I think I have a one on my team and Mm -hmm. I sometimes I have to tell him, Hey, there, there are things I want you to be excellent at. And there are things I need you to kind of be okay with just getting it done because you can't be excellent at everything. I don't want you working around the clock. You know, you also need to go sleep. So yeah,
0: yeah. Some things are good enough. Absolutely. yeah. Yeah. So, so the two, tell us what the two is all about. The two is, uh, we could call it helper. It's somebody that just simply loves, uh, to help other people. It's kind of what you picture. It's the little girl that runs and gets a diaper for, uh, their mommy for a little brother. You know, it's the nurse, it's the, um, EMT. These are the type of people, uh, it's not, of course, they could be in any different industry, but they truly, like the name says, love to help. They want, they don't mind denying themselves. Uh, they kind of need to be needed. And therein lies some of the <laughs> some of the shadow side. The sin we usually say with twos are pride because um, in one sense, we're all deal with pr- proud. But when a, everybody tells you you're great because of how you help them, uh, you start thinking after a while, I don't have personal needs. You know, I don't, I don't need, um, I just need other, you know, I just need to give to others. As long as I'm giving to others, I can have value. Well, there's a trap in that. You know, there's a one way relationship. So that's a, that's the two.
1: And so I guess a similar question as before, if you have a two on your team, what, as a leader, what are some things you need to be thinking about with a two?
0: Yeah, so if you've got a two on your team, they're probably going to be great on verbal encouragement, on having a high energy level um, of really looking to be the first one to, you know, run into the house fire to save a life, you know, which is great. Um, Assuming uh, there's a fire. Sometimes twos can get off when nobody really needs them and they think, well, gosh, let me just start the fire. Mm-hmm. So then I can <laughs> oh yeah, that makes sense. So I can be the hero, you know. <laughs> and so that's why they need to be needed. My daughter, who we thought was a dude for a long time in high school, used to loved to create Saturdays where she would take my wife and I thrift store shopping so that she could buy us some <laughs> clothes that she could afford. Well, <laughs> My wife and I didn't want to do that on a Saturday. We didn't really care about thrift stores, this whole deal, but she created this whole environment. And then we're like quality time with your daughter, your teen, you need to do this. You know, it's pretty funny, but that's an example of, you know, where the the shadow side twos also can have a little bit of trouble doing any kind of self-care or caring for their soul, partly because they think it's selfish. Hmm. Uh, And, um, but they do it to such a degree that they can burn out themselves and and then, of course, you know um, having this need, this pressing need to give. Uh, and and when they really cared for themselves, they know their opinion a little bit, they are got plenty in the tank to give, it's not like they're running on empty.
1: So I have a friend who's a two, and I don't think she would mind me mentioning her name. Her name is Cassie Morrison. She actually has a podcast. It's called Anyway. And one of the things she shared with me, and she actually leads courses on Enneagram because she's so into it. But she says that sometimes even the way she communicates uh, can be very two-ish. So for her, she'll send a text message to a friend that is just, just very detailed. Like, hey, I love you so much. You know, Thank you for this. Really appreciate you. And a friend might send something back like, oh, thanks, love you. And for her, it's just crushing. Because Mm as a two, there's just so much emotion and love and she just wants to be helpful. And then she goes to this place of, oh man, is there something wrong? Did I offend them? And Mm -hmm. so it's just funny how even the way our our numbers can affect the way we communicate with people uh, and and the way we interpret people's communications. Mm -hmm. So I think that's another thing to keep in mind if you have a two on your team. In my sense, and John, feel free to correct me, my sense... Is that if you have a two on your team, to your point already, make sure that they're kind of orienting them to to the right problem to solve or to help with. But yeah. also, I imagine they probably maybe need more recognition or more encouragement than other people they might. Do. Is that true?
0: That's right. They do.
1: Okay. Yeah, for sure. So,
0: Cal, what about Cal? What about a three? Yeah. Since you're the, you would know more about this than I do, even though I've been doing it for 15 years. I mean, this is your life.
1: Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the achiever, the performer. Yeah. So let's go to the three. So, uh, and John, you're the expert, but I, I will, I will give you what I think the three is all about. I, I think that the three strives to perform, to be recognized their greatest desire is to, to feel valuable. And, and this is why I, Part of the reason I do this podcast. Part of the reason I'm so, I just love feeling like I'm doing something that's that's worthwhile, that's making an impact. I I tend towards being a workaholic. That's one of the things that I really identified with. With the three, uh-huh. is my probably my greatest uh, when I'm when I'm unhealthy. Uh-huh. I, I will just work all the time, and I'll always feel like there's this boogeyman behind me saying, Cal, you better go do this. You better go do that. I've got this constant checklist in my brain that I have to be careful that I'm not thinking about or I won't be present with people because I'll be thinking about the next thing I've got to go do. Oh. Um, it's interesting. So my my reading of the Enneagram talks about, you know, there's like the deadly sin or the biggest sin for each of the numbers. And I guess the number for the three is deceit. Um, and I read, I read, um, I think it's Ian Morgan Cron's book, the road back to you. Mm-hmm. And I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, John, but the, my understanding of, or the way he articulated deceit, uh, is maybe not the way we would all interpret it, but it was almost like a willingness to, to not be authentic. Um, not necessarily just to be like, cause I, I feel like we hear deceit and we hear this person who's a liar or, um, is constantly trying to portray something they're not. And maybe there is a, an aspect of that when you're unhealthy. Um, yeah. But I could certainly see where in my life I'm constantly trying to achieve. And maybe there's a a desire to, on the outside, look better mm-hmm. than even what's on the inside, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So, yeah. right. um, so as long as people are perceiving that I'm achieving, yep. I'm good, even though maybe on the inside I'm
0: burnt out. That's right. That's right.
1: (laughs) That's where I see that play out in my life.
0: Well, and one of the things that you know, like a uh, threes can be a little bit like a chameleon. It's that type of deceit is that they're going to reflect the colors that they're around. So you know, you can have one podcast with a pastor, and the next one with a general, and the next one with a business leader that's quite accomplished, and and you can pivot in those spaces really well. Mm-hmm. And probably done reading in all those areas, partly out of interest, but mm-hmm. you know you tend to pick up these things before you're certainly conscious of what you've picked up, yeah. and so it's not like it's an intentional deceit. But you've just fooled yourself. You've never had to say, "How do I feel?" or "What do I think?" or mm-hmm. uh, "I just need to, you know, win," or uh, "or help somebody else win in order for to be able to succeed." To uh, to kind of walk, work my way to the top.
1: Yeah. And the way my wife, so I'm also on the five love languages. I'm a words of affirmation guy. I don't know if there's, maybe there's a connection there. Um, But I have my wife, the one of the ways she really loves me well Mm -hmm. is by giving me encouragement is reminding me how you are valuable. You do, you are making a difference. You you did, you did some things that mattered. And I think when she does that, it makes, it definitely helps me stay more healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it helps me say no, because I, I, I think if I'm not careful, I already mentioned I'll burn out by trying to do too much, trying to fit way too much into yep. what is humanly possible. Mm-hmm. And then that's where I start to get into the the dangerous place of over committing myself. Cause then I'm over committing and then, I'm then I'm almost getting to a point of deceiving cause I'm trying to get everything done that I committed to doing. That's um, that. So yeah, it's really, and it just shows you how these, these numbers can be helpful in, in the way that we deal with people relations and, or go ahead, John.
0: I was going to say also that, you know, I think a lot of threes succeeded young hmm. either academically or in sports or, uh, even a career. Um, and there was a famous pastor. He's also a medical doctor in Britain in the in the 1950s said, it's a dangerous thing for a man to succeed before he's ready. Mm, mm. And uh, his name was David Martin Lloyd-Jones. And um, I think that's what happens to a lot of threes. And so when they hit their twenties or thirties, they lose a job or they don't get, uh, they get overlooked for a promotion or, uh, you know, their marriage falls apart. It just doesn't make sense. So that failure hits them a lot deeper than a lot of other people, um, because they had learned, if I just keep on succeeding, then I'll get what I need. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that a lot of threes, their thirties and forties can be, uh, tough because it's like, this is not the way it's supposed to work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, so Absolutely.
1: Yeah, and I think this might be a good one to highlight. What what does a healthy three look like versus an unhealthy three?
0: Yeah, so a healthy uh three wants others to win. So they become a good team leader. They already have this ability to see their team, understand where people are coming from, and pull them together. And if they really their desire is not so much to be known, but to help other people win, then they're great. And obviously the opposite of, you know, it's about me, you know, which undoes any team, you know, a selfishness that's going to, uh, really take away from the relationship. So it's about who's winning.
1: And I think that just highlights how, if you have someone on your team, I mean, they, just cause they are a three, doesn't mean they're going to be these negative parts. You could have someone who's really a healthy person who's selfless, who's achievement oriented and, and, and who's really going to be an asset, uh, And it just depends on, and just real quick on that. What do you think taking the three, for example, what is the, the linchpin to remaining healthy? Like how, how does, if, if, if if I, for example, if you were coaching me and that's probably maybe more in depth conversation required, but what, what advice would you give me to be, to stay healthy as a three versus tending towards being that unhealthy person who's self-focused?
0: Sure. Um, and this is the way they all are, like you could typically think, oh gosh, we needed a three on our team because we want to win, right? And that doesn't, it doesn't work that way because uh, they can be really unhealthy or if they're healthy. I mean, like you can work with any healthy type, (laughs) you know, uh, you can, it's pretty hard to work with any type when they're unhealthy because by definition, they're unhealthy. I think that uh, one of the things that I would say is threes often are so driven that it's like their temperature gauge on their dashboard is broken, mm. and a lot of times they don't know they're reaching burnout, uh, and until there's steam coming out of the hood, and then sometimes they'll just keep. They'll think if I just push it a little bit harder, I'll get it done before, and then I can stop. And of course, you know, your engine can crack at that point and get a major <laughs> problem. Um, so um, th- the stop slowing down. Uh, and being attentive especially of their feelings which threes have typically a little bit have trouble identifying what they're feeling those are all, all like good indicators on the on their dashboard that will let them know uh if they're running hot or not mm-hmm. so um that it's real simple just a little bit less being in a little bit less hurry to matter and to win uh is going to help and to have a little bit more a lot more self-reflection is going to help them actually stay healthy, which of course helps them produce typically better.
1: Any tips for leaders on identifying whether someone's a healthy, whether I mean any of these numbers, whether someone's a healthy person or an unhealthy person. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, there are certain things on stress that we're going to show a lot more we're gonna, you know, put our best foot forward or we're going to push a little bit further. Uh, And, you know, there's gonna be plenty of others that you could tell when somebody's relaxed or trusting, they're becoming more vulnerable. Uh, They're willing to admit their limitations uh, that are healthy things. And especially if they still have a certain attitude, that's really helpful to do it. The benefit of the Enneagram is it shows you how every type really shows their stress and that uh, sense of security very differently. And so uh, it's helpful to, to regard the numbers because that will kind of give you the indicator of mm-hmm. um, stress. You know, some people like my wife at nine, she gets stronger, busier, or dri- more driven. That's a good thing. Mm. Uh, so that's the opposite of a lot of threes. You know, a lot of threes need to shift into neutral every once in a while. Well, nine doesn't mind neutral. Nine's happy to just be pushed along, you know? Yeah. And so you can see how those are very different motivations and it can show itself in stress very differently.
1: And that shows you how important it is to maybe use this on your team as a leader, as a coach, you can help. You'll know when your team members get into that place of unhealthy. Uh, but if, but if, they, if you don't know that whether they're a three or a nine, you may not be able to interpret, hey, this person's. Getting towards burnout. This person's growing and getting more healthy in the time that we're together. So let's move on to uh let's move on to number four. So what tell us about number four?
0: So uh a four we often call a romantic or an individualist, is what I typically call it. They tend to be a lot more, they're very creative types, they're very authentic. Uh, they are often artistic and uh, just has A desire to be really significant. Uh, Fours tend to grow up with somehow believing that something in them must be defective.
1: Hmm.
0: And so you could grow up in a family, you know, that where you have, such as yourself, a three and maybe a one or another number and those kids think this is great we're fine we're doing great and the four is like yeah y'all kind of got it together but there's something wrong with me so the of course the sad thing about happening here is they start look they can start looking for um things that reinforce that message Um, It also really develops their emotional life, but to such a degree, when they get older, they feel like they are their feelings because they're so emotionally attuned. Uh, They can also be uh, on a healthy point, though, realizing that, you know, when they realize they're not defective, that they are loved, uh, that they have value. They love, they can turn that around and bring value out and others. Like a counselor is a per classic example of somebody that ha- might have been really in tune with their emotions j- younger and, you know, a desire to be authentic and want other people authentic. But as they grow and, you know, grow up, that they're able to really bring value and help people process how they're feeling. No, you know, not all fours are counselors, nor artists, but that gives you a little bit of illustration of their value there.
1: Any coaching for leaders? on if you have a four on your team, just some things to think about.
0: Yeah. There are certain environments, uh, for all types that are really important, but for four, you think about putting the four in the middle of a military or in the middle of a software tech firm, you know, um, I mean, it. There's going to be there's going to be some challenges there. It's helpful to have those people because um, they're able to pick up on things that they wouldn't. But uh, you could certainly see how other environments, like working for a nonprofit or somebody that's in the arts, um, it's it's going to lend itself well towards that. When you are have an environment, you've got a four that's not as much like your. Environment. It's really important to make sure that they are heard, that they are uh, told. I did a staff. I was doing an Enneagram conference, a staff retreat with a group of fifty-five staff, and there was they were right outside Disney World, and um, they had a bunch of ones, they had a bunch of threes, and they had a bunch of sevens, and we said, you know, together we do, we have fun and do it perfectly. You know, that was the combination. (laughs) Well, there was one four in the midst of that. And when it came up, and we had 55 staff in the room, and he, uh, when this came up, he started to cry. He's like, it is so hard to be in such a fun, excellent, achieving group, and us blowing past the very people that were called to serve. And Mm. he was absolutely right on And so uh, sometimes that's helpful to pay attention to with the four of what kind of environment is this Mm. uh, and uh, and how is the four processing this?
1: Wow, that's so good. And it shows just how important the perspective of each person is. And if you don't have that perspective, you're missing something. Mm -hmm. And that four was able to see something that all the ones and sevens and threes weren't able to see. Oh man. Yep. But, but knowing that about that person allowed you to, Hey, we need to bring this person into the conversation. We need this perspective. We're lacking. Well, that's this.
0: exactly what happened. This person was actually quite a good leader. And shortly after that, people was put on a senior leadership team. And since that time, they've said, uh, they've actually been intentional, not always about going after Ingram four, but that was the character of whether they knew they need to grow mm-hmm. and been really helpful for them.
1: Wow. That's so good. So let's move on to five, the investigator, observer. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So the fives, uh, like if you get that idea, like you just mentioned there, an investigator or observer, if you think about like, CSI or a crime scene investigator, right? They walk in and they see an environment and they notice a little drop of blood. They notice a hair here. They notice a fingerprint here. And they are just driven to really see and to observe. And so uh, they can be quite competent, you know, uh, at that. They're thinkers. And so uh, that's a great investigator or observer. Kind of gives the idea that um, they will be always be doing research and uh, strive <clears throat> for to find, you know, clarity. And will be hesitant to say um, what needs to be said until they've come to certainty on the conclusion. You know, they're they're competent. I had a friend of mine. He's a stats guy. Does He's a data scientist for a tech firm here in Raleigh. And, and I said uh, to him on Saturday night, hey, I heard a stat. And he said, yeah, it's wrong. <laughs> you know, and he just, he's none of those guys. He's a five and he's like, yeah, honestly, 90% of the stats that come my way had an erroneous way of collecting data. And that wasn't, you know, forthcoming with all the wearables, somebody's trying to, and it was a great example of a five, you know, being silly and fun, yeah. and, but also uh, yeah. kind of showing you this is the way they think and the way they're operating.
1: So you're not going to BS a five. They're going to, they're going <laughs> to, they're going to ask for your evidence. What, um, okay. what do you, what, what tips would you give for leaders on having a five on your team?
0: So I often uh, compare fives to like our devices with many different apps open, and so if there's this, if there's this, um, always thinking and processing through, you know, um, uh, some data processing through the science behind something, processing through uh, a workplace culture, and I've got to be competent in all these things. It's almost like you've got too many apps open. And you'll run down your batteries a little bit more. Fives tend to withdraw, but they especially withdraw because they honestly are um, kind of have an energy management problem. Uh, they, They can have be worn out quicker. So let's say you and I, you know, it's late in the day right now. If We said, hey, let's let's go out and, you know, go grab some beer and, you know, throw some chicken on the barbecue. Let's let's go. If um, we were inviting a five, a five might worry about that because he hadn't planned or she mm. hadn't planned for that time. But if he had been given enough notice, he could have like had some introversion time or some thinking time or mm. timed up for that uh, because he's honestly tired at the end of the day with all the apps or thinking. Mm. that doing. So, so that is something. I think another thing for the fives is well, they're really wise because they thought it through Mm -hmm. and everybody wants more out of them than that they're willing to give and and there is a sin there of an avarice a a hesitancy to share um uh, and part of that is that desire for competency but um it's not greed in the sense of like the want more money, but it is in the sense that they just want to keep their facts to themselves. They want to keep all their precious research to themselves before they open up. And it's helpful for us to give them a little space and say, Hey, when do you think you could come back and give your consult or advice on this particular project or on my life? Uh, when when would be a good time for you to share your wisdom with me? And uh, you know, you schedule it, <laughs> give them a little time, think about it. So.
1: Okay, so then going to a six. Tell us about a six.
0: So a sixth uh, is often called a loyalist. Um, like that's their strength—that they are truly loyal to you. Like they're the last ones to let you down, uh, and so they care a lot about things being safe and secure. Uh, you know, honestly their core issue tends to be fear they can handle that with kind of a fight flight freeze spawn whatever however you want to do it but that's basically it so this desire for support and guidance and to be loyal to people no matter what um has a lot of uh, d- of fear driven behind it and so the one of the best things they can do and worst things they can do is like be run worst case scenarios with you. So I don't know that about 15 years ago, they came out with a worst case scenario. You know, how would you, you know, defeat a shark in the Pacific, you know? (laughs) And then you kind of run that well sixes do really well, (laughs) but sixes are also good at looking at worst case scenario. I find them really helpful. I've got right now, my assistant who's a six working on some policies for us to help forecast what could go wrong to save us some problems well that's fantastic of course the sick can be um, a kind of a naysaver if they're always working on the worst case scenario you feel like dang we just when really we had a good idea and momentum you're dismantling it a little bit and you can understand why where that comes from
1: i could see this really being really helpful uh, especially in my line of work as a prosecutor we're often i always bring my team in and i say hey Let's let's poke holes in this case before the defense counsel does before we exactly. get to court, so that we can make this case better. So I think knowing that you have a six on your team can probably help make anything better if if used right. in the right way. Any any tips for leaders on having a six on your team?
0: Yeah, I think you know they really value loyalty, and you got to really have their back too. Uh, mm. And if if you're putting them in situations where you're not asking their advice. Ahead of time, like what you're describing there, Um, you're missing the opportunity to use your gifts to show us what could go wrong. Um, And what actually happens is when things go wrong. They actually are really good in the moment because they thought through all the ways it could go wrong. Mm. And so they actually are not as bad in a high stress situation or a catastrophe as you would expect. That you thought, oh gosh, they're going to go nuts. Yeah. They usually go nuts. But it's it's because they've thought it through and they can actually be quite pastoral, if I could use that term yeah. to with the people around them in the midst of it. So uh it's really asking and tapping in on the front end of a problem for their advice it really does help and we tend to do that we can tend distance ourselves to worst case scenario kind of people because we see them as no people but that's you know it is a gift and we need to use it
1: yeah i can see how that would be super valuable in a team and that's surprising i don't know that i would anticipate that i've never heard uh that they respond maybe well under pressure or under stress when things go wrong but that makes sense they've kind of anticipated it they've already they've already played this out in their mind they're not yep. maybe they'll say i told you so but they're also going to be there to help you uh, in the moment that's that's really cool uh sure. let's, let's talk about you john 7 tell us about sevens
0: so we covered it uh before it's this uh we tend to call them enthusiasts uh you know the sin there is gluttony or excessiveness you know more adventure or more spontaneity, or, you know, not just two creamers, but eight creamers in your coffee. <laughs> you know, It's like, you know, just this excessiveness. And that's because there's this almost hedonistic default of being satisfied. But really, it's like I said before, a, a avoidance of pain, a worry that if I go through pain, uh, if I go through sacrifice, then the you know, there's no life. So, you know, a lot of times we know that love requires sacrificial love, but a seven wants to go straight from relationship where everything's okay to life, even greater without having to go through sacrifice. And what they find, of course, is they mature and willing to enter into pain, especially in the pain of others, uh, is that actually what happens is. Uh, that's where the richness comes out in the relationship and that's where, uh, true trust is built in the midst of that. And so, uh, the sevens get, when they're in a healthier spot can walk through pain, uh, and learn how to still bring hope to other people when, um, you know, things are tough, but they also are not trying to just restlessly escape. Mm.
1: This is the life of the party. I've always, people have always told me the seven is the life of the party. Um, What, any tips for managing a seven?
0: Yeah, so a lot of times when you give just, hey, I'm going to give you a directive and you just need to do this. Here's your one directive. That doesn't work well with sevens because they feel like they're trapped. But if you say, hey, let me give you a choice. Would you rather do this or that? It actually helps them uh, or if you say hey i'm thinking you should do this what are some other ways to get the big idea done here the sevens are really good at strategy and they can come up with a plan a plan b plan c plan d really quickly and so that's an advantage to you but a lot of times if you just keep giving uh a directive on one thing uh they'll they'll after a while bolt because that's not the type of relationship is you know they like to be encouraged by, it doesn't bring their gifts out as well.
1: So let's move on to my wife, the eight, the challenger. Tell us about, tell us
0: about my wife. So your wife, uh, challengers are people that I often laugh, are people that walk into the room and say, all right, who's the leader here? They say this (laughs) to themselves. And then they think, okay, I am before, (laughs) before they had a chance you know sevens i mean eights are strong you know they just are strong and they're power people not that they're like mean at all but they just you know it's a little bit like jason Bourne. like he just is not worried about getting pulled over by the cops i mean you know the girl in the first one i think she's washing or dyeing her hair in the sink and he's just watching like yeah i don't need it this stuff. <laughs> Nobody's taking me down. And eights have this overcomer kind of uh, mentality. One of the things that, you know, usually when they were young, they had to be strong and they had to protect themselves or protect other people. And so they can tend to grow up with this, and that's their default. And it's not like they're trying not to be vulnerable, it's just they respect people that are strong. Hmm. And so, uh, Vulnerability can be a problem with AIDS. So can intimidating people unintentionally, like, Mm -hmm. like as a woman in particular, it's okay for her in certain environments, you know, um, I don't know if she was in the military. Um, She'd probably be a lot better than she would be, for example, in the church Mm -hmm. where we're expecting we have certain caricatures for women in the church Mm -hmm. and AIDS are like, well, gosh, what do we do with these highly assertive driven women? You know, it's it's seen in the wrong light uh, at this this you know the outward behavior. What's yeah. she? No, like, that's. Well, I'm sorry. What? What's her experience been in that? So no. she
1: she is in uh, corporate America. She works for a cybersecurity company. She's a a director there, and uh, you know it's funny. Her and her team have all taken the Enneagram, and there's a lot of eights. On mm-hmm. their team, actually, which is which I think is good in in some ways because they can communicate very directly with each other. and they're not mm-hmm. they're not too worried about hurting each other's feelings. But I think one thing my wife, and I don't think she would mind me sharing this has learned is that she has to be she is very direct. Mm-hmm. and what she may perceive as just a just a statement of what of just facts right uh, might be a little bit too direct for someone else. Yeah, um, that's right. And so she's had to kind of learn, and I think she has learned. Hey, you know, there there might be a better way to communicate this so that it'll be a little bit better received. And, but if she's talking to another eight, they can just be direct yeah. all day yeah. long. But when she's talking to me, she's got to deliver it a little bit more, uh, more, more kindly or more softly, yeah. um, or or at least I've learned, and I've already mentioned this that that's just the way she naturally talks. She's not trying yeah. to be mean. Right. She's just, she's just telling it like it is. Yeah, and, and for her to be vulnerable also requires a good bit of, of effort. So when she is willing to able to be vulnerable, I should really respect that and appreciate that. That's right. Um,
0: and they tend to be really good. Uh, like extremely good caregivers hmm. and there's an, um, to them, all the soft sides, very obvious inside their head and inside <laughs> their heart. But um, it's that default of strength that can push away somebody that prevents them from having that opportunity to show care and protect other people. So they actually are usually teddy bears underneath. Uh, They just don't appear that way as much on the surface.
1: Any tips for leading an eight?
0: Yeah. So uh, a a lot of times you want to be – in the summer of six, but for very different reasons, you want to watch their back. Uh, they've got your back. You want to get their back. You don't want to be saying, "Well, yeah, she can be pretty intimidating sometimes." I mean, in front of a group or somebody else, uh, you you don't want to do anything that would make the force them to feel vulnerable because then they'll kind of get uh, tough and turn off a little bit towards you. So that's one. Obviously, with the leadership gifts, a lot of times they're just tend to be like, in times of peace, they can be really bored and looking for something. But in times of war, man, that's who you want, you know, Mm -hmm. charging the hill, you know, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so you need to make sure you use that use that leadership uh, confidence. uh, And yet at the same time, you have to be careful, like, hey, this is actually a season for us to just coast a little bit. Let's, Mm -hmm. let's keep in mind of this, but your day will come.
1: So they need a task. They need to, they need to be given something to, to focus on. And my wife has said her fear is not necessarily to be in control. She just doesn't want to be controlled, which was, which is kind of a nuance that I I never fully appreciated until we did the Enneagram. So, Mm. so if I'm ever in a position of making her feel controlled, that's like her worst case scenario. Mm. Um, It's not, again, it's not that she needs to be in control. Just just be careful not to make her feel controlled, which is sometimes a a hard needle to thread. Um, And lastly, let's talk about your wife. Tell us about the nine, the peacemaker.
0: Like my wife is a nine. I said to her years ago, let's just be honest. If this marriage doesn't work out, it's not your fault. (laughs) Obviously, that's a little bit of overstatement. You know, I recognize nines can be a part of breaking up relationships, but not very often. They just strive for harmony for the whole group for everybody to get along. Uh, They just want all the other numbers to to be get along and peaceful, and uh, that's a really (laughs) it's impossible job, you know. Um, But what they're what they you know they kind of grew up not saying like my wife, what do I want? You know, what do I need? Uh, They just think if I just take care of all these other people. And I'm able to empathetically know where people are coming from and help them cooperate, then I'll get what I need. And um, what tends to happen with nines is because, because they don't stop and say, what's my opinion about this situation? Uh, we're all roughed because they usually are really good, kind of like a three in the sense of uh, knowing where people are coming from, but also knowing how they need to get along to, to mediate and uh and come together well uh, and when my wife shows up and she is about to really state the truth it just is all almost always the exact mm-hmm. right word at the exact right time uh last week my boys my younger boys were in trouble and she came in and i just looked at one of them and said brace yourself uh, <laughs> Okay. And you're gonna lose this one. Here you come. You know. <laughs> and she came in and just said it straight. You know, just called him out, and it just totally turned all of us around. Wow. But that took a lot of work. And of course, it's your house. You get you get more comfortable with that. Yeah. But it takes a lifetime to get yeah. good at some of these things. And and for her, she's gotten really good at being assertive and and knowing her opinion, and knowing when to assert it, because she recognizes that actually brings peace. Mm -hmm.
1: It makes me think of something Susan Cain said, the author of Quiet. She said, there's no correlation between those who speak the most and those who have the best ideas. Mm -hmm. And it seems like to me, if you have a nine on your team, you're probably going to have to bring them to the table. You're probably going to have to maybe pull out of them their opinion at times. Is there any other tips or thoughts you'd give for leaders who are leading a a team member who's a nine?
0: Yeah. um, I I think a lot of times uh, we are, they end up becoming really good managers. um, And if we use them as a management of people, whether formally in a management role or in uh, functionally having to work and build a team, one of the things that we can overlook is just how good they are at helping teams develop, but they carry a lot of stress because it's constantly a lot of work to get a team pulling together and working together. And so uh, being attentive, stopping, asking what's your opinion, what do you think, uh, if you, and using their intuition. If you were in my shoes, what would you do? Or what do you think needs to happen here? uh, they're excellent, um, Mm. at giving you the right call. Uh, they may not be the excellent, the one to make the call and to take somebody to the next level. You might need to leave it to, you know, your wife or you to be able to do that, but they're the ones that will give you the right read.
1: Mm. Oh, that's, that's great. So if people want to go deeper on the Enneagram, any recommendation, or I guess even just if they want to go take the assessment, any thoughts on where folks should go take the assessment or any books or resources
0: to go deeper? Yeah. Let me give you a few. Um, uh, there are several assessments online, um, a really, uh, expensive, beautiful, well, researched report is at integrative nine, the number nine.com. Uh, but, uh, they really do charge you <laughs> <laughs> a cheap one that is just as good, but, uh, it's not pretty at all. Is called the Wagner Enneagram. It's at WEPSS.com. I find it really helpful. We developed, I developed ones in our church and spiritual Christian space called Gospel Enneagram, and that's free. And uh, and those are three assessments all the way from expensive uh, and you know intended for the workplace and uh, secular workplace. Uh, to the Wagner, which is cheaper, um, not pretty, and then the uh, spiritual uh, gospel diagram is what we have. Um, one of the books I've appreciated on um, leadership, there's a book called The Nine Types of Leaders by Beatrice Chestnut, and it's going to show you each number, how you uh, like to be managed. And how you tend to manage. You know, it's going to really be applicable in the workplace. What are the blind spots of the, these people? It's a really great uh, book by Beatrice Chestnut Beatrice Chestnut, called The Nine Types of Leaders. And then you mentioned Ian Cron and Susan Sybill's The Road Back to You. That's a popular Christian one. Uh, it's really done quite well. It's an easy read. It's really well written. So those are some resources there for you.
1: Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And I'll put links to all of those in the show notes of this episode. And then John, if people want to follow you or connect with you or maybe even uh learn more about your coaching, where's the best place for people to to follow your your journey and your work?
0: Sure. We're at people launching.com. People launching.com. And um you could reach out to me at John at peoplelaunching.com send me an email. Uh happy to uh get what you need and you can read all about us. Uh, Certainly would appreciate
1: that. That's awesome. Well, John, thanks so much. I have learned a lot today about the Enneagram and I had read a good bit about this. It is especially neat to hear about leadership and kind of fusing that into the conversation. That was not something I had spent a whole lot of time on. and uh, I really really am am hopeful that those that are listening got a lot out of this today. And uh, feel free to shoot me a note or uh, John a note. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you're learning. Uh, Let us know what number you are. And uh and how that's impacting your leadership. Well, John, thanks so much for being so generous with your time today. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, and thanks so much for uh all the questions, man. I, I really appreciate the interest. It's uh I really respect what you're doing here. Hey
1: everyone, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with John Fouche. The Enneagram, whether you love it, whether you're skeptical, I totally get it. But it is a tool of many, that allows you to understand yourself better. And it also allows you as a leader to understand the different motivations of the people on your team. And I encourage you to go take the assessment. If you haven't, please share with me your results. Just send me an email at cal at calwalters.me. Let me know what motivates you. Let me know what stood out to you. Perhaps even have the folks on your team take the Enneagram assessment, not to be weird, but just to help you understand how you should lead them in a unique way. The best leaders lead each person differently because we're all different. And it also allows us to tap in to those individual strengths of people. For example, a one who's really about making things right, perfection, really, what a a great thing to know about someone because now you understand that's what motivates them. Same is true with a seven. Maybe you know that they get bored easily with certain projects. So you have to make sure you're constantly shaping your communication with people differently. And this tool is just a one of many tools to help you understand the people on your team. Please go check out those resources that John told us about. I'll put links to that in the show notes. Also, hey, if you would like to partner with us, if this really impacted you or if one of our episodes has impacted you, I just wanna encourage you to consider joining us on Patreon, just P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Cal Walters, you can give a dollar, $5. And that just helps us reach more people and helps us achieve kind of the ambitious goal that we have to reach more people. Friends, as always, thank you so much for being here. I truly appreciate you. I appreciate your time. I hope you were inspired by this, and I hope you have some practical tools that you can go and apply in your leadership today. Remember that life is short, so let's go be intentional and let's go make it count.